Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of your favorite podcast, The Doss and D Show. Remember to hit that subscribe button and follow us on all the socials in our show notes. Now, on this episode, we sit down with Big Bash star and Victorian wicketkeeper Sam Harper. Sam Harper is a star of the BBL and a fan favorite across the whole tournament. He's a chirpy wicketkeeper who is a huge hitter and always has a smile on his face. Sam was gracious enough to give us his time, take us behind the scenes and share what life as a professional cricketer is all about. We heard his story and what it was like signing his first Victorian contract at only 17 years old and walking into a star-studded dressing room. He even touched on what the day-to-day is as a professional domestic cricketer and of course his ambition to represent Australia and play more cricket abroad. Sam was so open and honest about the highs and the lows of Big Bash cricket. From the blistering heights, including the famous BBL final against the Stars and the moments that took place out in the middle, and playing alongside absolute stars of the T20 world like Aaron Finch and Andre Russell, to the realistic lows that each cricketer faces like form slumps and internal and external pressure. And to really get your total cricket fix, Sam even shared the art of sledging, cricket lunches and the one bowler that keeps him awake at night. On top of all of that, we got a great glimpse away from the game and into Sam's personal life. You'll hear how much family means to him, the actions he takes to better himself as a person, and the passion he has for community and being a role model. Whether you're a cricket nuffy, a casual observer, or never watch a game at all, we guarantee you'll love this episode based on the bloke that Sam is and the stories he shares. Righto guys, let's get into the episode. Enjoy. Don't you hate it, Doss, when you have an hour-long conversation with the guests? It's an amazing conversation and you realise, gee, I wish this was recording. Mate, last one in the house. Last one in the house. Last person we have to bring up the stairs. But let's introduce him, Sammy Harper. Welcome to the Doss and D Show. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. How was that ice latte? Very nice. Nice? It's 39 degrees in Melbourne oh. today, so <laughs> I think oh. I enjoyed the ice more than latte. Yeah, it was very nice. Mate, we are wrapped to have you here. We can't wait to talk. We've already ticked off a few great discussion points, but... At the moment, you're in the middle of the Sheffield Shield season, so let us know what you're doing and uh, whereabouts you guys are placed. Yeah, so we're placed pretty nicely, actually, after last week. Had a good win against um, Queensland, so we've got three games to go there and, yeah, hopefully another Shield final. And, yeah, that'd be nice because we played uh, WA, who were going to be hosting it last year, and they beat us, so it'd be nice to get one back on them. So we were just talking before, but maybe we can go first bit of home life. So you're not just playing cricket. You've got a, a lot going on outside of cricket too. So you've got a young fella, Finn. And uh, your partner, Georgia. So how's life away from cricket as well as just, you know, on the pitch? Yeah, no, life away from cricket's good. Um, little fitty boys keep me on my toes. But, yeah, he's coming to a great age. Not saying he wasn't a great age when he was <laughs> two or three months. But, um, yeah, particularly as the dad. I don't know if other dads out there can relate. But I've especially enjoyed the last few months. Just as soon as he started um, smiling and actually bringing a bit of personality and, yeah, zest to his life, I've actually been able to feel like I can be a bit more hands-on as opposed to being a little bit useless the first few months where basically yeah, yeah. I was just giving my two out of ten cooking seals and trying to cook dinner <laughs> for the family and do the washing. Now I actually feel like I can get actively in, involved and, yeah, he's been the best. He's just tons of fun and, yeah, you say away from cricket, he is a great distraction and, yeah, when cricket is over for the day or come back from an away trip, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool to come home and see him. Take us behind the scenes for a domestic player because a lot of us hear about it we see you on the weekend especially in the big bash season we'll get into the big bash a little bit later on but tell us about your day-to-day for a victorian player yeah it's a good one so we're based at the junction in st kilda mm. and obviously not too many games of sport go for four days so yeah um, yeah. yeah in this time of year when the games are on yeah we'll have a couple of day prep leading which is just all your 
boring basic yeah. <laughs> training stuff and then yeah then the, the real stuff happens so we'll start a shield game on monday the junction yeah it goes for four days and unbeknown to some people that actually can end up in a draw which is quite funny that you play <laughs> yeah. for four days and no one actually wins and then yeah that's basically so the domestic season sort of runs from october to april with a eight or nine week break there for the bbl mm. um, where most of us go out and play for our bbl franchise and yep. then april and maybe get some time off before pre-season starts again so we're going to be open and honest, right, from the get-go. I'm not the biggest cricket person. Dee's a cricket man. I, lo- I love my cricket. I used to go to uh, – actually, there's quite a funny story. Didn't, <laughs> me and you were at the Big Bash one night. And what, what did I do? You I fell asleep. I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah. You fell asleep at the Big Bash. Can you believe it? Uh, you wouldn't well, be my only friend to fall asleep at the cricket. That's fair enough. <laughs> no, I can understand. But it must have been a big night before or something <laughs> like that. But I, I, as that person – and I do enjoy cricket. I, I do lo- love it. and I've been at quite a few Boxing Day tests and some Big Bash stuff. But for everyone else listening – I guess, what is the training schedule like for, you know, whether it's Shield Cricket or you mentioned BBL is that eight-week period. Or is it longer than eight weeks? Or is it shortening to eight weeks, isn't it? Yeah, it's around, around eight weeks. Yeah. So what's that train? Let's go Big Bash first. What is the training like? Is there a pre-season like there is for footy? Is, there, is it just you come straight in and you're into games? Yeah, now the BBL is a little bit different. We had six Shield games prior to the BBL this year and basically as soon as that sixth game finished... We were in Cairns for round one pretty much seven or eight days later. So, yeah, it's basically get the whole squad together, sort of have a two or three day, do something with the group to sort of build the culture that you're going to have for seven or eight so weeks. So some of the players you don't even know them? 100%. Some of the, yeah, some of the blokes like our overseas you come over and just introduce yourself to uh, probably takes <laughs> them two or three weeks before they stop calling you number six or actually <laughs> learn your name. Horrible. But, yeah, which is one of the cool things about the BBL that you do get to play with such – I mean, this year we had Andre Russell from the Westerners, mm. which was just – so cool to have him over and get to play and share a field with him. And yeah, unlike what I said before, I actually am, do love the training side of stuff with the cricket. So yeah, and then we just basically do a couple of days training, might have a practice match or two. And then we're, yeah, this year we're up in Cairns and into it. So your relationships with your teammates, like, because we were talking earlier, like you can be traded quite quickly. Things can happen. Players move every season. So how do you build strong relationships or friendships within that group for such a short period of time? Well, yeah, I'm currently on the chopping block potentially on the trade <laughs> table at the moment. But, uh, no, we won't go there. So I might be moving franchise next year. We'll wait and see what happens. But yeah, funny story. So we had at the Renegades a couple of years ago, we had Mohammed Nabi over from Afghanistan yep. who'd actually been at the franchise for a couple of years at this stage. And we were um, actually having a fines meeting up on the rooftop in Queensland. <laughs> and our coach, Andrew McDonald at the time, <laughs> stitched Nabi up a little bit and went, right, Nabi, he didn't actually have to get fined, but his punishment was um, you've got to go around the whole group and the squad. And we had our support staff, physios, everyone oh, up there. Oh, no. And Nabby had to say everyone's name for oh. first and last name. And, he, and I won't do a very good Afghan accent, <laughs> but he's going around, he's going dos, di, and he just goes physio, essence. Oh, no. Uh, fast baller, coach. Oh, <laughs> oh you're kidding. Did he get oh. your name? I think I was number six or maybe oh. Harper. I might have been around for That's long enough. Tough. Just to, yeah, the poor guy. He plays in so many different franchise leagues. But that put us in absolute stitches. That's which hilarious. then led following that to a game when we played in Adelaide and him and a guy called Dan Christian put on over 100 runs. It was one of the best partnerships I remember that, yeah. that the franchise has probably had. These two have probably just batted together for 45, 50 minutes. I think Sarah Jones was doing an interview with Dan. Yeah. After, no, with Nabby after the game. And he goes, so how was it batting with Dan out there? And he goes, who? <laughs> Dan Christian, he goes, oh, I don't know who that is. But oh, my. God give him good health. <laughs> it was one of the funniest things ever. Because he'd obviously, I think he obviously only knew Dan's yeah. Christian or like Serial, the nickname we might have called him. And he yeah. didn't actually know 
Dan as Dan. He just knew him as Christo or the nickname we might have called him. So it is funny for those overseas guys, especially those who come from a country such as Afghanistan and their English is their second language. Yeah. You just take it for granted. I can't imagine if I just rolled into Pakistan or India or someone in there. Yeah. We're just expected to know all that language, of course we're not. Oh, so, God. But no, it's pretty cool to have some of those people like um, Nabi and Andre Russell. And um, yeah. this year we had Majib and Akil Hussain. So... Mm. Yeah, we've had some great overseas. Is it hard though? Because you're getting like the, the change is so often in the locker room to be yourself. Obviously, you've got your staple of players and I'm sure you've got great relationships at the Renegades. But when you have these fly in, fly out kind of guys and does the locker room, you know, taper down a bit or is everyone still a bit, you know, silly? I'm sure everyone's got their own goofy style. Like do certain players change when other players come into the locker room? What's the go? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think when December does roll around and the BBL does start I think so everyone's so excited just because it is a great time of year like it's heading into Christmas New Year yeah. the BBL's on it's on at night we usually get apart from COVID get some good crowds in so yeah the, those first initial weeks when the squad does come together everyone's just excited to be together and especially if you get a couple of cool overseas but yeah then it'd be interesting if you actually spoke to the overseas because they might be here for like Andre was here for three or four games it's not say whether we actually win those games or not, he's actually not going to be there for the finals. He's not going to be there for the grand final. And he's literally on a plane the next week off to another league meeting 15 or 20. Meeting another physio, another coach. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, a whole bunch of new teammates. So that's probably the life of, you'd have to ask someone like that who does the franchise world, that they are just in and out of squads. They're meeting so many different people and whether they're, yeah, obviously they're there and you're hoping that they do buy in for your franchise because you want the club to do really well. But, Mm. But these guys potentially are just here individually sometimes for themselves and hopefully their individual skill on that night can bring your team a win but yeah they probably don't buy into the team as much as someone who might who knows they're there for three or four years on a contract so how does it and if you don't mind sharing like you told us over coffee average wages but for these guys are flying and fly out on a four-week contract or whatever and they're probably on pretty decent money yeah as a group as a group that are actually local or domestic players if somebody loses their spot because of one of these guys or they're not getting paid as much? Like, what's the general feeling like? Is there a strange feeling amongst the group? No, there's not too much of a strange feeling. Mm. I think personally on my, on my end, when you do get like an overseas into the BBL, all I would want and can hope for is that they buy into the group and yep. they buy into doing their job and role for the team to win. And to be fair, on the most part, I think the people I have played with have really built into the culture and really for the maybe for the two or three weeks they have been there. Yeah, brought in. Akil saying this year from the West Indies, you could just tell straight away from the first training session that whilst he was there for eight games, he was all in. And it was yeah. just, it was great. He was getting around the group, getting around the boys. So when he actually left, it was, it was quite sad. Like he yeah. become a real part of our team. So to see him go, and that was a real testament to him. Like he was working with our younger spinners, teaching them stuff that he'd learned as a batter and a keeper. He was going, this is potentially how I'd bowl to you or this is what I'm thinking. And it, yeah, for a domestic play to get inside into that was that's good. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty cool. Growing up, was the like what was the dream essentially? Was it Test cricket? Was it one day? Was it twenty twenty? If it's twenty twenty, it must be pretty cool. Then you know you, you're getting drafted, going in there, training with the names you've watched. You know, you mentioned a lot of names earlier. Like, it, it, what, what was that dream? Firstly, the dream was to play professional cricket, no doubt, and that was for me. That was from a very young age. Whilst I was at school, being probably a C plus student in maths and English, <laughs> better uh, than us, yeah, better than us. <laughs> yeah, I always, I either always wanted to be a professional sportsman, and then I think I knew from a young age that that sport was going to be cricket. So for me, that was doing everything I could to be a sportsman. And then, of course, 
who wouldn't say that they would want to play cricket for Australia? Yeah. So yeah. that was definitely and still is at 26 the goal. And, yeah, whilst I didn't put all my eggs in that basket, I was still, which I'm very grateful for, my parents were very big on playing other sports and also trying to do as well academically as yeah. I could um, whilst my super coach team just got hammered away while I was in maths class. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I had quite a good well-rounded childhood playing different – yeah, played footy, golf, cricket, a lot of range of sports. But, yeah, cricket was the one that I wanted to take professionally probably from a pretty young age. Obviously, you're a similar age to us, a little bit younger, but I remember – because I was the same. Like, I, you know, footy in the winter, cricket in the summer – that you dream of. For me, I wanted to play AFL. That was my dream. You were the same, Dice. We both um, wanted to be... Well, gee, that dream got completely shattered <laughs> when I was about 16. <laughs> yeah. But at the time, like I remember when... I, I do remember the first time I ever saw T20. I don't know if you do too. In Australia, we're playing... Not a great story. But so I do you remember, remember it or not? I remember it was in Sydney. And I remember I, was, I just remember my mate saying like, there's this new format. He was explaining it to me. I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. When this new format came in, did you then see, okay, there's a pathway. Now there's a bigger pool to actually potentially make it as a you know professional? Yeah, definitely. Probably when the T20 came in, I think I was about three foot two and weighed 30 <laughs> kilos. So I'm like, right, I have to be good at Red Bull cricket here because I probably cannot hit it out of the 30 metre circle. So I thought that sort oh, of... Oh, right. So you focused more... I, th- I thought that format might have... <laughs> I thought it was going to be lucky or I was going to have to grow pretty quickly to get into that sort of format, which I actually didn't grow too much from that day. <laughs> but I do remember that night. I remember Jimmy Anderson bowling to Adam Gilchrist and Gilchrist yeah. was on the mic and hit him for three sixes in a row. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, this format's really cool. But yeah... Definitely for me throughout, I've and still do want to play all the different formats. They're all mm. different in their own right. And playing last week at a Shield game at the MCG was still really cool, even though six weeks before that we were playing at the MCG and there was 40,000 people there. Yeah. And last week there was probably four Seagulls and three security guards. <laughs> but they all have their – each format for me has the things that I absolutely love about it. Yeah. So for as long as I can, I'll try and play all the formats as well as I can. What about diet? That's something that I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not great with my diet. That's something <laughs> I could improve on, Sammy. But for cricket, I like, we've had footballers on talk about this. What about cricketers? I mean, you often, you know, we've got friends that play local cricket, right? And you go in and you have, is it, you have lunch or you have afternoon tea and what, whatnot. Everyone brings a, you know, everyone brings a plate. Is it the same? Does everyone bring a plate or how does it work? <laughs> it's not It's not everyone brings a plate. And I think maybe, maybe we should bring that. I think you'd get quite a nice cricketer's lunch or tea if everyone bought. I don't think the dietitian would love it if we all bought our own plate. Do you have to do skin folds all that? Yeah, we, it's a funny one. We, we, we've always done skin folds. In the last year or two, I think it's actually become optional in terms of the way Cricket Australia actually police it now that you don't actually have to do skin folds. But oh, most how of, good. Yeah, but most yeah, that's of great. And I think oh, I'm a normal cricketer. We all, yeah, we all have a little bit of a sweet tooth. Love a beer. There. Love yeah. a. <laughs> Do you all have lunch together? Yeah, we all have lunch together. Like, as in opposition as well? No, nah, not opposition. Okay, no, okay. We, sit, we sit well away from them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, too funny. We there's a guy. Shout out to Jimmy at the MCG and the boys who have actually played Test cricket around the world would agree that he does one of the best lunches worldwide. Oh, really? And we are just so sport. He does like you will walk into the lunchroom at the G and there is. There's like three or four meat options. Um, it's cool. unbelievable. And then come BBL time, when you finish the game at 10 o'clock, you walk in there and it's just exactly what you would want. There is sausage rolls, tomato sauce, wedges, chips. Like, And so, yeah, he absolutely nails it, Jimmy. So shout out to Jimmy. We need to get Jimmy working oh, yes. as our chef. Here. I was actually at the G last night for an event and I didn't realise the booths or the boxes where the players walk up to, like on that level one. Yep. Is that where that all that happens? Like, Is that where everyone sits in those or are you more upstairs? Where is it? Yeah, so 
for a T twenty game, we're on all on the ground. Yeah. Um, and then the yeah the change rooms at the G are down below. And then for a shield game, a bit slower. Obviously, going for four days. Yeah. Boys will sort of do their own thing. If yeah. Next into bat or close to batting, you'll be up in the viewing box. Yeah. Um, ready to bat. A fast bowler might be downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking about diet, eating away <laughs> or finishing <laughs> off what Jimmy's made for lunch. Yeah. Sort of. We'll do a range of things. The G is such a just an awesome place to play. We got to be on the G for the event. Like it was like a dine on the G, and I actually was standing. Like, and I actually was I took a moment and I walked up the race. I even said to myself, I was pretending that I was, you know, <laughs> pretending I was a player. Even a couple of the boys I'm working with, I'm, we were having a joke around. I'm like, come on, boys. And we were walking up the race. Oh, this mob. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, like, the joint is insane. Like, I'd never actually been on the MCG before. And looking up, like, imagine, well, not imagine you've done it, but. It's your home ground, yeah. It's your home, it's your home <laughs> turf. But. What is that like? like? Were you there? I don't know. D was looking forward to talking about this too. But what year was that? That big game between the Stars and the Renegades, and it was like ninety thousand people. Were you playing that that night? I wasn't. I was at the Stars that year on the sidelines, and I think yeah, they had eighty thousand roll in, which was just an incredible night. Luke Wright from England, yeah, um, made a hundred, and then yeah, the following year I was lucky enough. I think there was about seventy thousand people there. It was my second ever BBL game. And it honestly did feel like a computer game. Like I was out there keeping. <laughs> Bit of stick cricket. Nervous as all get. Like, yeah. But you could have ran down the wicket that night. I was not stumping you. Like my, my hands were so <laughs> stiff. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like I remember Michael Beer was bowing to Aaron Finch that night and I was keeping going, right, this is honest. I was just looking around. Like I don't even know if I was watching the bowler bowl the ball that night. And oh, then I walked wow. out there. I think I shanked my first ball off Brad Hogg for two and I, the next ball just smashed me in the shin. I was out LBW. But I honestly walked off – don't know if the coach would have agreed, but I was walking off smiling. Like I just had the night of my life. Like it was just such a surreal moment to watch those games playing there. But then from an actual cricket side of view, once I'd done that and experienced that, it just really burned that I want to do this more. Motivation. And, yeah, and not only be involved, involved in this game, but actually perform in those games. Because I think those early games that I did play at the Stars, like I was almost so happy to be out there playing in the game and like playing with like a Kevin Peterson or something like this. But I didn't actually believe that I belonged out there like whilst I was involved in the game I sort of felt like I was just there to keep and I was batting down the order and then I actually lost my stars contract after that second year went down and went right if I actually want to play and perform in this this format I don't want to just be someone who is involved I actually want to perform and play so then lucky enough the next year I got an opportunity at the Renegades and had, had worked and tinked on a few things that I thought could bring success in the format and lucky enough the next year was able to implement a few of those things especially in big bash when it's such short it's a short format and it's you know high pressure when you get these opportunities what are you looking for as a player in terms of are you just thinking how do I keep my spot for the next game if you hit 30 40 50 do you go okay I might have you know two or three games up my sleeve now and I can relax like what's that mentality like to actually keep your spot Definitely when you're starting. So those first two games I played at the Renegades was actually just out of a bit of good fortune that Aaron Finch and uh, Marcus Harris were opening the batting for Australia at the time. So there was two opening spots which probably weren't, I didn't see coming at the Mm. Renegades. And yeah, so basically I got a call the week before that first game saying we'd like you to come and play the Renegades practice matches from Andrew McDonald who was the coach. Played the practice matches and then he actually told me that I'd be playing the first game against the Perth Scorchers at Marvel. And I knew that I was a replacement player for two games. In, which is in a 14-game yeah. season. So, yeah, definitely in the back of your mind, you know that in those two games, if I missed out in both of those games and I played two games, so be it, and off you go, and they, you just you are a replacement player. So you exactly what sounds like you get replaced. So yeah. 
But then personally, I was like, well, nah, stuff this. I actually want to, in these two games, if I can, make an impact. And I, lucky enough in those games, yeah, those things that I had worked on, I was able to execute a few of them out in the middle and ended up keeping my spot in the team for that year. And that was pretty cool because we ended up winning the title that year. So, Unreal. yeah. Was that at Marvel? It was at Marvel. We, yeah. Yeah. Talk us through that night. Because yeah. it's, it's the best game of probably BBR almost ever. Like, it's just unbelievable. Talk us through, from your point of view, that, that whole night. Yeah, it really was unbelievable, really. I mean... When Boise bowled Stoinis to make it, I think one for 93. I think some of my family, family members were at Southern Cross Station. <laughs> <laughs> They'd given up on the boys already. Insane comeback. Uh, yeah. And once we... So for those who don't know, set the scene a little bit. So you guys made, what, 145? We got bonded out for about 145, which in T20, especially at Marvel, which was a good wicket that year, was yeah. nowhere near enough. Melbourne Stars had an unbelievable batting lineup. Stoinis, Maxwell, Bravo, you name it. Their yeah. top seven was incredible. And they were, not, yeah, none for 93. They basically <laughs> needed 50 runs off about 50 balls with 10 wickets in hand. And it was, it was unlosable. And Finchie wasn't in a good mood from memory. He, was, <laughs> it was, he looked pretty angry on the field. He was I think Finchie, swearing? I think so. I think Finchie had got out uh, at the non-strikers end, run out, which is just one of the most unlucky ways to get out. And then the camera actually followed him down the race. And speaking about a good driver swing, he sent one of these white chairs through Marvel <laughs> Stadium. <laughs> I wasn't actually in the rooms. I'm assuming it would have been one of the all-time blow-ups. But yeah, from there, yeah, they were none for 90. We ended up taking six for 15 in about 10 minutes. I was on the mark and I remember the broadcasters coming down and them saying, can you believe what's happening? And I was like just so excited at what was happening. Dude. And like some of the older boys, like we were getting wickets and I was going off my tree, like <laughs> celebrating in the group. With and the mic like, on. And so, yeah, and some of the older boys were like, calm down, we haven't won yet. I'm like, we've won. We've taken six for 15. There's no way we can lose this game. But I think because it happened so quickly, like it literally happened in 15 minutes that we went from losing to winning. And yeah, it was the title. just such a cool feeling. I remember when like when that last ball went up in the air. And like we knew we'd won and we just all went and embraced. Yeah, that was one of the best cricketing days I'll ever have. So as a, as a keeper, and it's probably well known that you got to be able to be good with your words. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a chirpier role. you got to speak a bit more. And I don't mean because you're wearing the mic, but you're the one closest to the batsman most of the time that's facing. Do you think that a bit of trash talk and a bit of this and a bit of that is a key to getting in the batsman's head? And how do you do that when you're on the mic? Because you're obviously limited with what you can say. Yeah, and in the in the BBL, there's also you got the stump mic, so you know you never know when when they're listening. I mean, anyone who knows me, I'm not, I'm not gonna. Ask. You're not going personal. You're no, not talking about family. Not, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's probably not in my not in my DNA. For, for me, it's more if I actually know the batter, that's when you can actually. I feel like you can actually say something that might be funny or might be off putting or actually have a bit of banter with them. But for those like in shield games, when you're potentially playing another state and you don't actually know who's batting. Most of us are just out there competing. But you can't shut up all day, really, because if you, if you stop, then as a fielding team, the rest of the boys probably start to drop and morale drops. Yeah, no doubt as a keeper that one of your main jobs is to, yeah, you are almost the barometer of the energy and how the fielding attitude and energy of the group is. And I love sort of doing that and having that role. So give us an example of that. So what does that look like? You know, if you're the barometer and the energy behind the boys, do you have a few go-to sayings? Or do you know which <laughs> players are going to be, you know, come on, pick it up? Like, what, what does it look like? I know that might be a very vague question, yeah. but like there's going to be people listening that go, well, what? Like, is that just come on, boys? Or Literally, sometimes yeah. Adam Zampa did a very funny thing at the Great Cricketer where they talked about like, cricket chat and I think if you actually wrote down the dialogue of a days of 96 <laughs> yeah. hours of cricket chat yeah, it's it would actually literally like come on boys let's get one more and then it'd be like 30 second break come on boys doing well here 
Come on, Southern, keep on for us here, mate. Good yeah. stuff, mate. Like, it would actually be just 96 overs of absolute dribble. And we like that for every club. There's a script, you and know. Encouraging, like, encouraging the bowl over. It's not bowling that well, but, oh, he's got in there. Like, that's a good line. <laughs> and it actually it, – I found it funny what, like, Zam's actually said to the Grey Creek because it's actually so true, like – of course, we're going to try and get another wicket here. Like yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the aim of the game, lads. Yeah. Let's put two on the board. Like, and I, oh, yeah, so that interview is quite funny because that literally happens week in, week out. But yeah, most of the good chats actually just had between, like, I'm lucky, one of my good mates, Matt Shorts, had slipped at the Vic. So yeah, it, it, when we're out there for a whole six hours in a shield game, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, get to, you get in some areas, I can tell you so that. Oh, Especially D&Ms. if you're not taking wickets. Yeah. Tim Payne did it very well a few years ago. I think it was when India was over, he was asking about the babysitting. I thought that was quite good. But And, and we obviously, we love Matthew Wade. And, and you know, because we were talking earlier, coffee, we love players that show you their true selves and their emotion. And sometimes, you know, with him, a bit of white line fever. But <laughs> have yeah. you ever got in trouble with the stump marks? Have anything ever slipped out? Because you did say too, which was very admirable, you said you want to be a role model cricketer. Like you want young kids to look up to you. So are you aware of that with the stump mics or has anything ever slipped that you'd be like, oh, could be in trouble it, here? I don't know if anything's ever sl- slipped on the stump mic. I have been known for an aggressive appeal every now and again. <laughs> I can, I can <laughs> picture that. And yeah. Here's a little story. So we were playing South Australia in a shield game. I think I was about 19. Don't even know if my voice had hit puberty yet. So you can imagine how <laughs> high-pitched my appeal is. Ah! How's that? And basically Marcus Stoinis was bowling for us. He hit Callum Ferguson on the foot. Like it was dead plump yeah. and I don't even know if I was appealing I was just celebrating I was basically giving Stoin a hug before the umpire had even given it out <laughs> and we'd won the game we'd sung the song and the match referee comes in and goes you're, you're on report for excessive and aggressive appealing and like I was just this 19 naive kid just trying to be <laughs> smile and be nice and I'm like you're kidding man I'm not under report anyway we got off it in the end anyway, so I've maybe turned back my appealing a little I'm still getting overexcited so sometimes. it was a legitimate Report on you. It wasn't yeah, it a piss was, take. No, it was like, yeah, you're in the principal's office here. Wow. Mate. wow. Second Shield game. I was like, well, I won't be charging the umpire again for sure. Well, this year was funny because in the BBL, they actually brought in the DRS. And I, as a keeper, everything's out. Yeah. So, but, but this year, I could actually get proven wrong. So twice this year, oh, I said, no. I was like, Finchie, mate, that's out. So send it up. So I think I was zero from two. <laughs> <laughs> Both times I was convinced the batter had absolutely smashed it. And they were, yeah, there was clear daylight between bat and ball. So next year, I might be leaving the DRS to someone else. What's Finchie like? You know, he's obviously just retired. Incredible player. Amazing bloke from, you know, a media point of view. You know, what, what's your relationship like with Finchie and being able to play with him for, you know, quite a long period of time? Yeah, I was, the five years that I've been lucky enough to play at the Renegades, um, yeah, Finchie's cap, been captain for most of those years and he was captain of the year we won the title. When I was first at the Renegades, that was one of the, the coolest things that there was. Like I, the team had Cameron White, Aaron Finch, Dan yeah. and Like we had Cambridge and combine that with some of the overseas we had, like it was just a star started 11. Yeah, and Finchie's grave was lucky enough to bat with him a number of times at the top of the order. And I think they were some of the moments, again, where as a 19 or 20-year-old, you were waiting to walk out and back going, I'm over the batting with Aaron Finch. Tonight. How cool Like how cool is this? Whether it be at Adelaide Oval or yeah, at the MCG or at Marvel. So, yeah, I was lucky enough to um, be able to have some cool partnerships and Sweet. play a little bit with him. And, yeah, he's obviously his white ball record for Australia in T20. Just retiring a couple of weeks ago was phenomenal. So he's... Yeah, been a great contributor of Australian cricket. Unbelievable. So, obviously, with Finchie retiring, it's been a bit of a debate this summer too about BBL. Um, over the last few years, obviously, with COVID, everything took a hit. And prior to COVID, the, the league just seemed to be absolutely on fire, like huge crowds. And now this past season seems that like it's, it's growing again. Everybody's talking about it. Crowds are getting bigger. Where do you see the future of the BBL? Obviously, it's up against so many other 
tournaments across the world, but also, you know, shortening the format, trying to get the players in for longer. What do you feel as a player would benefit the tournament? Yeah, I think some of the direction that the BBL is heading in from conversations that's happened in the last few months is definitely heading in the right direction. And I would say after a really successful BBL again this summer, yeah. there's no doubt that the previous summers before that, the BBL hadn't been a potential best version of a product. And I think COVID did play a big part Absolutely. in that. When you can't, I mean, the players and the relationships sorry, they have with the fans, you can't, like we weren't able to do any autographs. We weren't have family days, all that interaction that you get with your kids, which is such an important part of the night for, I remember when I was a six year old crawling through <laughs> legs, basically trying to get up to like Jonathan Brown as a Brisbane man yeah. just to get his autograph. Like that was, that yeah. was I didn't care if he kicked goals or not. I just wanted to meet Jonathan Yeah, of Brown. course. So <laughs> I think that played a big part. And I think, with reducing the number of games back to 10 in the coming seasons, hopefully we can get access to those gun overseas for longer and mm. yeah, some of our best Australian domestic players can play the back yeah. end of the tournament. Were you a part of that game that Chris Gale, don't blush, baby? Were you a part of that? <laughs> I wasn't oh, part was, of that. That was early, BBL. Wasn't was it? Yeah, that was, I reckon I was about 16 or 17. With, when so you were just laughing at the TV screen like <laughs> us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the game down in Hobart yeah, with Mel yeah. McLaughlin. <laughs> Did you ever get to play with him though? Did he come back again? Nah, nah, I don't think Chris got invited <laughs> back after that. He was, play, was he playing Dandenong this summer? I think Endeavour Hills, yeah. Endeavour, Endeavour Hills? It was smacking them everywhere, I heard. Yeah, yeah, I think Endeavour Hills. They had a world 11 in Endeavour Hills. I don't know who's doing <laughs> I don't know who's running the paychecks down there, but they had... That's yeah, impressive. David Milan, Dilshan, Gale. I think there was actually talk that we were going to... The Renegades or oh, Stars were going to play a practice game against Endeavour Hills. That's how good their side was. Wow. That's amazing. So I'm interested then. So for somebody listening that actually might have ambition to play professional cricket or Big Bash, what is the pathway now? What's the best way of going about it? Is it do you get obviously the guy from Brisbane Brown? He just got plucked out of yeah. supposedly local cricket and and straight in. What what's the pathway? Yeah, I think the good news is for any cricketer coming through. There's obviously the traditional pathway. I probably had more of the traditional pathway where I yeah. went through the whole junior system. Yeah, played in all the junior rep sides and the Vic sides, Australian under-19 team into a rookie contract. So that's probably the – that's how the, yeah. the system is probably set up if you're going to sort of go in. But there's there's heaps of different ways. Like Rob Quiney, who was a real one for me when I first got into the squad, who was such just a ripping bloke, he played his – I think he got his first contract out of grey cricket at about 23 or 24. Right. And he went on, on, he went on to win five shields for Victoria and have such a great career and make his test debut in his 30s. So – and then yeah. similar – like Josh Brown made five or six T20s in their grade comp up there and all of a sudden he's opening the batting for the Brisbane Heat. So there is... Unbelievable. Which is awesome. And I think it should happen more. Like I think, similar to what we were talking about with coffee before, how a school kid's supposed to know at 18 what they're exactly about to do at uni yeah. for the rest of their life. Like, And it's the same with the AFL draft. Like You can't just judge a cricketer or an AFL player at how good they are at 17 or 18 because some people will develop really early and some people will take till they're 24 or 25 for the to sort of be their best sportsman and versions yeah. of the player they want to be. Overseas, is there ambitions? I know you've played overseas a couple of times. You've mentioned earlier, maybe touch on those. And is there still ambition to, to want to get overseas? I mean, right now you're dedicated and I know your mind is completely here in Australia. But, you know, like you said, you're in the prime of your career, mate. So mm. I'm sure there's still some drive to, to want to get over there at some stage. 100%, yeah, definitely. There's, I think in the next five to ten years there's going to be such good opportunities yeah, worldwide. I mean, there's a new tournament starting in America. Um, it's unbelievable. Of all places. That. Yeah. It's funny. American Americans actually watch the BBL like the third or the fourth most worldwide wow. behind really? Indians, United yeah, United Kingdom and Australia. Like they actually wow. watch it over there, which you wouldn't really think about. And then, yeah, there's obviously like the 100, the T20 Blast and all those different competitions and formats around the world. It's definitely, if I can, yeah, hopefully have a couple of 
good BFLs in the next coming, yeah, I would definitely love to go and play in one of those comps somewhere else. So the pathway now as a professional cricketer to go overseas would be just you just dominate locally and yeah. The good news is it's pretty simple. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, if you can do really really well for your franchise, yeah, you're going to get picked up in competitions and leagues elsewhere, and that's as simple as it needs to be. For me, it's probably just about becoming a little bit more consistent. Had a I've had a couple of good games. Um, here and there each season and obviously the nature of t20s it is a high risk game you are going to miss out but yeah yeah hopefully in the coming years i can just become a really consistent t20 player even from a cricket perspective but also away from cricket just as a, i think one of the coolest things would be the life experience going to somewhere like america and playing cricket in there and yeah potentially taking your family over there just yeah that's what yeah. we're so lucky to be able to potentially do other sports you know you, you know and being an afl person you are as well you love your footy you do see in here like it, it is a a prerequisite for nearly all players, right, to have something else going on during the week than just footy. So whether it's going to trade school or going to uni or or something like that, maybe do you want to touch on a little bit about what you're doing away from cricket yourself? And then is that been a push personally or is is Cricket Australia, are they encouraging that as well for other players? Yeah, I'm a huge advocate for doing things away from cricket. I mean... Sometimes cricket can be a bit all-consuming and you can let it become all-consuming and I probably fell into that trap as a young, especially when I first went into the system, like cricket was everything and I was thinking and Mm. delving into it way too much and I really would admit that I didn't have a great sort of work-life balance as you'd call it now that I'm a mature (laughs) (laughs) 26-year-old. But it's, yeah, it is so important and now like having, yeah, having Finn as a kid, doing a Mm. uni degree, doing some other things away from the game, like in a couple of Fridays, Lyndon Dunn, our PDM, we're going down to Geelong Footy Club and just going and listening in on some of their meetings and yeah. seeing how something like that works. Yeah, even doing things like this with you guys today. Yesterday I was lucky enough to um, – I've been speaking a little bit with Kath Cashel who runs the Kindness Factory and yesterday they had like a little charity day. So I just popped in there for an hour and a half. Awesome, um, great. So, yeah, even just having coffee with someone like Kath who's now running a business in something that I'm extremely passionate about. And all that – I don't know what I want to do when cricket ends but something in that sort of space really excites me. So I've just been – the fortunate thing is we have such good access to such good contacts and yeah it's just it's up to you as an individual how much you want to use them or make the most of them but definitely for me the yeah cricket is a part of my life and it, it is an important part mm. and i think it's okay to acknowledge that it is important of part. course yeah but there's just so much else that excites me and it motivates me away from cricket as well which um yeah i think's which i think is really important not just to have that perspective that yeah cricket will end pretty soon or it could end, who knows? Like, obviously, I want you want to play for as long as you can, but yeah, there's still 30, 40 years of your life to follow that. So mm. We'll come back to cricket because we've still got a, a lot that we want to touch on there. But can you share the story, if you're comfortable to, with what you told us at Coffee about, you know, what you guys went through to have Finn? Because I think that's a great side to hear from, from you that obviously we don't get sitting here watching the Big Bash. Yeah, definitely. So, part in Georgia, we'd been together since high school. We were high school high school sweethearts. She basically helped me with my schoolwork and everything. And I said, well, <laughs> do you want to get into a relationship? Because <laughs> what was the exchange there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bit of contra deal. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> you write my English essay and uh, we'll yeah. go serving together in the summer. Yeah. So yeah, we were, this was about, yeah, just, this was probably peak COVID really. Georgia had been getting these horrible pains for years, for years now. And it was time that we actually had to delve into finding out what these pains were. And turns out she had, yeah, endometriosis quite badly in her bowel and in other parts of her body, which I won't go into. But basically we sat down with Samantha Hargraves in, in Melbourne, who was a gynecologist, and, yeah, she said, look, there's a surgery we can do for Georgia where we can remove all the endometriosis. We can 
basically, I don't know what they pump her chews with. I'm no, yeah. no gynecologist. But <laughs> yeah, if you guys want to have a kid now, now would be a good time to do so. And for Georgia and I, having a family was really important to us. And yeah, we weren't really fussed about sort of what age we were just going to be we were just going to be blessed to have a kid and thankfully, um, yeah, we were lucky enough. I know it's not that easy. You think it's really easy to have a kid yeah. <laughs> when you try and have one, it's potentially not that easy. So yeah, and we were really blessed that G fell pregnant with Finn and yeah, she's been amazing that whole pregnancy journey into birthing Finn and now um, the three of us starting our own little family's definitely been one of the coolest things I've awesome, had mate. in my life, yeah. And then part of that you mentioned, which is which is totally like, amazing, the commitment, but the house situation that you spoke about, you know, like what... Living in Torquay for a good six, was it six weeks? Yeah, I was going to say six months to make the stories any better, <laughs> but still, like the travel to and from having the having a kid, being able to having to drive into to Melbourne every day, um, that must have been pretty pretty hard. Yeah, it was hard. Unfortunately, we got moulded with our rental as we were <laughs> chatting about. Yeah, so we were a little bit stuck there before we found a place in Hawthorne, which has been awesome to be back in the city. It's great to have you in the house, mate. Make yeah. sure to pay your rent. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, shame we didn't connect with Sammy earlier, being so close. Yeah, yeah, literally a KOA. So, yeah, we ended up going down to Torquay for a bit, which was actually had huge positives. I mean, when cricket ended, apart from the car trip, which was <laughs> a pain sometimes, once you actually got down there, you completely just escaped the cricketing world you were in and yeah you would it's an awesome lifestyle down there who knows one day we might find ourselves Are you a surfer down there oh i'm a very very modest surfer but yeah george's dad was actually a surf instructor so okay, um, oh, okay. i actually dated georgia to get the free surf yeah. lessons <laughs> <laughs> she was just a byproduct <laughs> no, i'm kidding but yeah surfing is one of the greatest skates i mean you can yeah. yeah just leave everything in the car and get out there and there's a few cricketers that do surf and yeah i love definitely getting down the coast and getting in the waves when i can i mean i Let's not take any footage of that down there. I'll <laughs> maybe take a still shot of the one wave I'm up for the day. And Gee, it's a profile pic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clean wave in Marimbula. Yeah. <laughs> it looks yeah. great. Looking like Mick Fanning. It looks amazing. Little do you know that that's actually a one foot wave and the only wave I caught <laughs> for the day. <laughs> well, it's obviously Jack of all trades. He's saying he plays off five on, in the, on the golf course, which is unbelievable. There's obviously a correlation between cricketers and golfers, but... Another conversation we had at coffee, which I wish was... You How know, many times have we said the word coffee I know, today? I know, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was just the standard yeah. conversation we're yeah. having. But we're talking, and I really liked hearing this from your perspective because you're not an athlete that's out of the game. You're still in the game. And we're talking about players showing their, you know, their true character and personalities and how important it is. And I'd love you to expand on wanting to have that freedom to come off after you've batted pretty well, to actually say, today, I'm smoking them, I'm hitting them well, versus... Yeah, the team's playing well. We need to get this. Yeah, let's keep the run rate up, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, I think we were just touching on American sport and how, as a golf fan, I really like the honesty that a golfer actually answers the interview with. Like, mm. you can actually get insight into how the golfer played that day based on the interview because you know they're actually going to come from an honest space and it's nothing arrogant or them actually talking themselves up. They're actually just saying how they played that day. Yeah. Whereas, as we were chatting about, I feel like in australia sometimes you actually just need to go oh yeah the team did this really really well i actually got lucky with this shot and shot and like there's times where bowlers bowled an amazing spell and then you hear the interview they're like oh, i just got lucky to execute <laughs> and they, like they'd train the house down to actually be able to execute that skill under pressure and i just think yeah it's unfortunate sometimes in australia that if someone actually does be honest with how they potentially went that night that the in as the public or for me watching golf or like afl when someone gets interviewed or a player, we get actually lucky enough to have the insight yeah. into the player, which nowadays we do quite often get the insight, which is great. All you want to do is see their personality and their, their honest truth come out. And I think 
that's what's been really cool about these documentaries coming out on mm. Netflix with all yeah. the different sports, which yeah, I've loved watching is all the viewer wants his insight into the into the person. And I think the more we can bring out the personalities of the player, the more like the fan can actually engage with that person on a on a personal level. And then it just becomes I mean, I had no interest in F one, watch the doco, and then I <laughs> yeah. could tell you everything about F one, tie position, this position, this this crew member was doing this poorly, poorly. Like I was staying up to midnight watching the wow. F1 races like an expert. I know nothing about car racing. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't watch that. I needed to uh, drive to survive. Drive to survive. I want to yeah. watch a tennis one. Have you seen that yet? Yeah, I watched that Frankie looks Point. great. And yeah. Full Swing, the golf doco has just come out, which oh. would be pretty cool. So well, I love the test as well. If the test. You would have watched that. Yeah, watch the test. Yeah. yeah. I think anytime you can get access into the change room, sort of any elite sort of, whether not even just sport, any, even just other, yeah. other assets, businesses as well, and see how people go about their trade i mean as a yeah as a sport yeah sort of nothing i love watching that stuff what i find so bizarre not bizarre but when we touched you touch on that yeah you're coming off and like you mentioned like a ponting might ask you some questions about you know that shot or this or that like both of you know that right now this is a circus act like as in sorry not a circus act but it's it's not real like he knows what you're think you want to say you know what you want to say but you can't say it and i find that really it just must be a weird predicament. Like, like off camera, like do you end up having a conversation with those guys and the, the conversation is totally different to what it was on camera about the game or what's happened? Yeah, sometimes that can, sometimes that can happen. Like you can speak a little bit more in depth or honestly. Yeah. And I think as a viewer, all, all you want is that honesty. And that's what, when I actually have been mic'd up, I mean, I've loved it because all I've tried to basically, the broadcasters when they come to you and like they want to engage and they want to maybe talk about a funny story or something like that, that that's what I absolutely love. Like no one wants to hear, oh, you're going well, the score's two for 60, hopefully you're going to shoot <laughs> yeah. to 130. <laughs> it's pretty boring. I wouldn't want to listen to that if I was at home on the mic. So yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the landscape is hopefully changing mm, hopefully. forward in that space. So a, a few weeks ago, the couch was in a different position, but it was a similar day to today. It was about 40 degrees and you guys were out there. I think it gets maybe the scorches. It was a really hot day and... I don't think you were playing up until a moment where poor Pete Hanscom <laughs> absolutely suffered from, I don't know if it was sunstroke or heat stroke or what. Can you, what, what happened that day? Because he just, I've never seen a wicket keeper literally, there was just not, he had nothing. Do you know what happened? Can you take us behind the scenes? Yeah, well, Marvel Stadium can get quite hot at the best of times. And that game was just a two o'clock game. And yeah, poor Pete, like out in the middle, I think it, must have, like, you know how weather zone does feels like. I think, yeah, if you ask Pete, it felt like 95 <laughs> degrees out there. <laughs> Pads, helmet, everything. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, and like, I think he was just completely depleted in all <laughs> energy forms. I've never so, seen anything like it. Yeah. yeah, and I just actually think it got to the stage where he wasn't actually. It was dangerous. It was da- yeah, it wasn't actually right for him to be out there. And luckily, we've got docs and medicos who can make that decision for you now, albeit most of the time as a player, you just want to argue with them and be like, especially someone who's had a couple of concussions here and there, like most of the time you're like wanting them to go away because you just know yeah. they're going to try and actually do the best thing for you. Yeah, <laughs> when you course, just want to stay out course, there and yeah. keep playing. In that situation though, like that's your teammate and he's obviously, his health is not great, but you're, you're next in the, the waiting list, I guess, essentially. Yeah. Is, it, is, it, is there a bit of like, this is gonna, this probably sounds bad, but you're kind of happy in a sense because you get your spot, but you're disappointed for your teammate because he's not well or whether it's injury or whatever else. Like what's that feeling like in relationship like with that situation? Yeah. And I think that's one of the really interesting dynamics of team sport, as opposed to like tennis and golf, it's all you like, even though cricket and AFL and these examples are team sports, 
you as an individual also like you're individually wanting to get the best opportunity you can for yourself. Of course. That, that's just and I think that's extremely I think that needs to be I think it is normalized and I think that's yeah. really healthy. So when you are in a squad of eighteen and you're not the one playing, all you want to do is be playing. Mm. So yeah, you don't want it to be at the detriment of someone else getting injured or someone else missing out. But I think it's also very healthy to say for a squad that you're sitting there going, yeah, I want to be out there keeping and batting. So when you do get dropped from a team, which as a cricketer you get dropped a lot and I've been dropped and missed out on teams a lot, yeah, all you want to do is fight to get your position back and play. So then this year at the Renegades when I was dropped from the team, like of course when I came back in, the next opportunity I had to nail that spot, like I was extremely motivated to do so and yeah, just get playing and because when you're playing, you you're out there. That's exactly what yeah. you're working all those hours in the preseason to do. So, yeah, and you can't really do that filling up water bottles from the bench. <laughs> no. Do they tend to be one year contracts? Is that the standard, or is it? Yeah, you if sign two or three or four. <laughs> Depends how you're going. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Generally, if it's a one year contract, you're like, well, I better perform this year. Yeah, otherwise right. I'm not going to be here yeah. next year. But do most guys sign one year because it's such a cutthroat you know, yeah. version of the sport? Yeah, I mean. You can definitely, like throughout the VIX and sort of the younger you are, sometimes you get longer <laughs> yeah. contracts. Is oh, they, okay. You get times to, time to develop and mm. they sort of give you two or three years to develop. I think once you get into your mid-20s, older 20s, unless you're really established part of the side, yeah, you might be on a one or two year contract. And, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're good enough to be there and you can perform, you know that everything else will fall into place. So Cricket's hard because like... <laughs> An AFL player trying to get back into form, like at least you've got four quarters to go out and, mm. and play, or you might have. But in your case, as a as a batter, or we could keep it, but as a batter, you could just get bold and absolute beauty, <laughs> yeah, and, and you're done. And then if you're in a form slump, like how do you get out of these form slumps? I'd, I'd love to know from a cricketer's perspective. Yeah, well, batting is as you've just touched on in batting, like you can potentially do nothing wrong, yeah, and your day's done. Like, and then. Funnily enough, which is probably not talked about that much for people who don't know cricket that well or especially in the batting sort of landscape, is even when you get time off or days off in between a game, if you've missed out the game before, I'm telling you, all your brain is thinking about is the next time you go out and bat. Like, So it's all good and well to have a couple of days off here and there between the BBL, but when you care about something like, for me, which is cricket and batting, it's actually really hard to switch off in those days in between because you know in three days' time you've got another game coming up. And, yeah, when your spot is on the line or you're wanting to nail down your spot in the team, you know that in a couple of days' time you need to perform. So it's actually really hard to switch off mentally in those times. And even though you can speak to any sports psych and they'll be like, oh, just have a family day and relax and yeah. go down to the beach and just have a picnic. And, like, that all sounds good and well. But the reality of, of that is it's actually really hard to do that. So, yeah, that's just – and I think that's just any – challenge to any athlete same with footy week to week if you have a bad game you're going to spend the next week thinking about your next game going you want to perform so is there internally at the club though is there is there like a, a mark that you need to set so say you might say i need to get to 20 at least or 30 or is there some kind of way to measure what you'd consider being back in form or consider you know getting your spot again for another week like especially if you're under pressure so if you've had three innings or they're all under 10 what is, yep. your, what is your mindset? Is it like, oh, I need to get to 10, or I need to get to 20, or I need to get to 30 before you can kind of relax and go, okay, now I can start playing naturally? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it's obviously dependent on the role you've got in the team as to what course, yeah. you want, what the coaches want from you, and it's about trying to execute that to the best of your ability. But no doubt, the when you miss out a couple of times, it can build up on you, and you are just sometimes you're over trying, which is yeah. actually a real thing, like where you're so desperate to do well that you end up putting so much pressure on yourself, you just restrict yourself 
completely. And then it's funny on the flip side when you've had a couple of good games in a row, then you do spend the next few days completely switched off, not thinking about it, and you just go out and play. And that's obviously the ideal mental performance that you can be in, but it's not always that easy to get into that. And it's the same with the Shield stuff. Obviously, the game has two innings. If you miss out in the first innings, you've just got to bounce back in the second innings. And I think, luckily, we have enough continuity of cricket where we play enough games of the summer where yeah. you do get to bat enough times where if you do actually trust your preparation and trust your training, you know that good things are coming. You've just got to, unfortunately, be patient, which is sometimes hard to do. Yeah. Is it is it common to get a spray in, in cricket from, from, say, a coach? like a, Or even the feeling, right, you, you might get a duck and you're walking in and... What is that feeling like? Is it because you know someone's going to say something to you? Or is it very like in the test, you, you watch that documentary and players are disappointed with how they've gone, they're cracking it, they walk in, they end up having a moment to themselves. Like what is that like when you come in after your bat, you're disappointed? Does someone come in and put their arm around you? Are you left to yourself? Is it later on when someone might come and go, mate, what was that? Like what's that like? What, what happens? Yeah, it, it, it changes from each environment you're in. There's, there's definitely been times where as a team – We've had, yeah, we've had a stern talking to after the game, which is – and to be fair, most of the time in cricket nowadays, that's, that happens quite rarely actually. Like most of the time it's just how can we learn, how can we move forward, what's actually making us better. And I think that's probably the best space for the team and the club to be in. I don't personally see the much value and much point in – like I am absolutely trying my best mm. to perform that night. I don't need you telling me after <laughs> I've missed out that what I did was – poor or yeah. like not good enough because I'm telling you that I was giving my 100% all out there and I think when you know that the athlete also from a human side of things has done everything they can to perform then there's not what like what else more can they really do and obviously there's always going to be different learning so someone this year at the Renegades who was really great for me was Brad Hodge because when I missed mm. out a couple of times at the start of the tournament not in a spray style but he we actually just sat down and went well what actually is going to help you perform and at the end of the day it was at an elite level where the bowlers are really good, you've got to be really specific about how you're going to build and structure your innings. You cannot just go out there and from ball one try and hit it second row of MCG, which I'm trying yeah. to do because you'll end up hitting Luke Wood straight up the air, which I did, and I'm out for golden duck. Yeah. Like it's, you've got to be really specific. So we just literally brought that down to each contest and each one ball that we face. Like let's just beat the bowler in that in that moment and try and execute a plan ball by ball. And it's funny, as soon as you did that, it really – Instead of going, oh, I need to make 30 or 40 tonight, you just broke it down over by over, ball by ball. And, yeah, before you know it, you are on 10 or 20 and your innings is, is underway. Way, so I yeah. think it's more in – for me, everyone will take feedback and stuff differently. But for me, it's more just sort of that – yeah, that is that growth mindset. How can I actually get better? And personally, I know I'm going to go and do the work at training that I need to do to try and perform. So once I've actually done the performance or played the game, as long as I've done everything I can in my prep to perform, I'm like, you can't really be too disappointed with yourself. It's a great question. I just want to follow on from that too. So, because I've always wondered when players do go out for a duck or and they come back and they sit, what's the conversation with the boys? Is it just silence when they're walking off the field, they've hit nothing and they've got to come back and sit around their teammates? What is said? Do, do people try and encourage or is it just silence? Have a laugh? Do they yeah. just <laughs> take the piss? Yeah. I, well, I think. What do you as bad as like as bad as we know all every batter has missed out a lot and of course every batter in the season every single month misses out like yeah. that's just part and parcel of being a batter you have to accept that and if you yeah. can't accept that well go and play another sport because yeah. cricket is not going to be for you and it will chew you up and I'm yeah, it chews us up at the best of times anyway yeah I bet so yeah there's not too much dialogue really like <laughs> yeah I bet yeah it's interesting as a teammate personally I know that at the Vicks all of my like I watch how my teammates and the other batters prepare. 
and we get access to all the resources and training facilities we can to prepare and I watch them go and prepare. So, yeah, it's probably more just disappointment for them because I've course. seen how hard they've worked and tried to perform that day. But also knowing that, like, there is another Shield game the next week. Over time, that quality of play is going is to become good. And then it's I would actually flip it the other way. It's more of the excitement you get for that player when it does come good. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, someone like a Campbell Kellaway who's a young young mm. kid at the Vicks who made 81, who just works his absolute backside off and had a tough start to his debut. We got conditions at the MCG against Peter Siddle, which was just doing everything. And he actually battled really well and made a couple of starts. And then in the next game against New South Wales, made an 81. And it was just like the excitement you get to see for them. I would more say it's that. That's awesome. I think that's one of the, the greatest things about someone like a, like a team sport where you do get to genuinely celebrate yeah. someone's success. Do you consider yourself a leader? Like now that you've been in the system for a few years professionally and you've been led by some of the best as well, when you go and play Shield or, or BBL, are you taking young guys under your wing? Like you mentioned, these young fellas. Like, do, is that something you enjoy doing? Yeah, definitely. I think for me, obviously leadership comes in different forms. All I'm basically trying to do is, especially when we get new people into our squad, like we usually get a few new rookies, is just trying to allow them to come into our environment and be themselves and feel like they actually can be themselves because that's where our environment's going to be be at its best. And I feel like as a youngster coming in, sometimes you don't feel like you actually can be yourself because all of a sudden you're in an environment with all these big names. But in reality, they're, they're now your new teammates and they're your yeah. mates. And I think that's some of the... You're not going to get along with everyone in the locker room. That's just... That's part of sport. But the more that we can encourage the people to come in and just feel as comfortable as they can in their own screen as quickly as possible. Mm. And we're, we're lucky. I mean, most of the environments I'm in at the moment, at the Vicks, we have, with the playing group, we have such great personalities in that change room. You get a bit rowdy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, it, it can. We've just got such some such funny, great personalities in there. And that, I think, without being too cliche, that it, you do speak to most of the sportsmen. And for me, when I do finish up, it'll be those locker room moments that I remember or the 6 for 15 as a team performance against yeah. the Stars, which I'll really remember. And that part of it is the chemistry in that locker. That's part of winning, isn't it? Like that, that's how you get that winning culture, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like last week, Willie Sutherland captained the Vicks for the first time, 23-year-old. He's, yeah, absolute ripper. So it was his first game captaining Victoria. All, wow. all of us wanted – just we wanted to win just so we could – his first game was such a special experience. And then, yeah, as you said, Shield Creek can be long and it is – tough cricket so after four mm. days going out there with your mates and and winning and yeah sharing a beer in the rooms afterward that's what makes those yeah wins actually really enjoyable awesome we'll get to the fan questions shortly but i've just got one other one for you so could you give us maybe three bowlers that you just hate facing oh like if if you're on strike and you hear that they're about to come on who do you go oh here we go yeah so rashid khan oh i bet he gave me sleep insomnia <laughs> <laughs> Every time the EBL fixture came out, I would look at when we played the Adelaide Strikers. Wow. Purely from him. And then story, we were at Adelaide Oval. This was my second ever game. I was opening the batting. I went, I just teed off because I was like, he's going to bowl the sixth over. Like generally, you know when that ball is going to bowl. And back when it was a six over power play, I knew when he was going to bowl. So I was like, right, I am going to score as many (laughs) runs as I can off the others before he comes on to bowl. And yeah, second ball, bang. Oh, w, no. See you later. <laughs> yeah, anyone who, like a Lance Morris, someone's bowling 150 yeah, Ks now in red ball at the wacker around the wicket. Yeah, no oh. thanks. You, you get <laughs> yeah. bounced a at lot. Least, yeah, at yeah. least in, well, 
I can get bounced. At least it's not too far for me to duck <laughs> under it, let's be honest. In T20, it's not too bad because you can sort of like give yourself a bit of room, maybe yeah. back away and go, yeah. oh, I was trying to, just trying to hit for six over point. But in Red Bull, when you actually got to line it up for 50, 60 balls at a time, yeah. yeah. anyone who's sort of bowling around that 150K mark, especially when they come around the wicket. But Rashid oh. Khan would be – any of those mystery spinners where you have no idea which way the ball imagine. is spinning. Mm. And then, yeah, from a keeping perspective, when we had like – Najib or like a Zahir Khan last year when you're keeping and you don't know which way it's going and a stomach's coming yeah uh oh <laughs> oh god so we'll go to the fan questions Sammy so this one's a pretty simple one but we touched on it earlier it was one of my favourite subjects which is food <laughs> okay uh, Sam Cullen writes what is your favourite food favourite food you know when you go to like Santuros and you get those Spanish donuts oh. and then you dip them in like the, Nutella? Yeah. Oh, anything <laughs> anything chocolate-wise. But the Spanish donuts, when then you, then you dip them in the chocolate. Like, yeah. That's a winner. That's it a wasn't bad. what I was expecting. I was waiting for like a pizza or uh, yeah. You're a sweet tooth. That's a good oh, answer. It's different. Yeah. Absolutely a sweet tooth. Uh, the, my other one would be, since we've moved to Hawthorne, Yochi is like 900 metres down the oh. road. And it gets me every time. Oh, especially I'm craving the, it. Especially I'm really in the summer it. months. We had to stop, actually. We were going a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think I need to stop. I think I'm there, number one. Membership person. It's, it's so good, isn't I it? Do you have a membership there? We do, actually. <laughs> I've always said no. We should have bought. What's, the best, what's the best topping you go for? Well, that's the what's thing. It's a semi-half special. I basically get a quarter of the cup with the Yochi and then basically the other three quarters of the cup is like M&M's pod. Like just, oh, oh. just go to town. Yeah, I probably could just do it myself for about yeah. a quarter of the oh, price at Coles, but it's not the same. No, it's, it's, not. Not, it's not the same. This is a good question too. So Squirium underscore 14. So there's two parts to the question, but I think this, the second part's the more valuable one. But how many times have you executed the ramp successfully and any tips? Sometimes successfully, sometimes not successfully. <laughs> Our Renegades coach this year says when I hit the second one in a row down to fine leg, yeah, he wasn't too happy. But on the whole, most of the time that I've played the, um, the ramp shop, it's actually come off. Yeah, it was a yeah. shot I had to practice and get good at as a player when I was talking yeah. about coming from the stars, the Renegades but I felt like that could be a point of difference if I can access that part of the ground. And yeah, most of the time I've actually played it, it's, it's gone well for me. And yeah, of course, like most things, there's been some times where I've been made to look very yeah. silly as well. So any tips for any anybody that wants to execute properly the ramp shot? You get a chest guard. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And a good helmet. There you yeah. go. I'm not even going to try and pronounce this name, but most famous person in your phone. Famous person in my phone. That's a good one. Don't know who the most famous person in my phone would be. Obviously, like, yeah, there's a few cricketers in there mm. yeah. who have been really good. Like, when I was at the Stars, Eddie Maguire was, like, the person Oh, there. yeah, of course. Oh, so, yeah. yeah, I might give Eddie a call on the way home. Yeah, <laughs> just let him know that you've been here, yeah. See how he's going. If he wants to pop in, too. Yeah. We're, actually, no. we're actually, he's a dream guest of ours, so, Eddie, if you're listening, we're moving to Alston Wick. Get, so. <laughs> get on the Dawson day. That's it. Well, Sam, mate, we just want to say thanks for, for jumping on. It's been a blast. I've actually loved it. So much fun. Uh, and the fact that you've given us the time of day, you know, at about nearly an hour beforehand mate so mate just thank you very much we've loved it I'm looking forward to maybe we go and have a hit of golf or something yeah, yeah. Nice. No, that'd be great and yeah good on you fellas it's been awesome to hear what you guys are doing as well so yeah good appreciate stuff. it awesome. thanks Sammy no worries wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And, of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And, of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, Dave? It's at DawsonD underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. 
See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in the next episode.